0: Good morning. Hi, good, morning. Good, morning. Good, morning. good morning. Hello, Hi, everyone. Morning. Thank you. All my other cool clothes were dirty. <laughs> <laughs> um, so first off, I, I think we need to extend our meet and greet time from what it looks like because y'all missed all of the, the videos. <laughs> With all that loud talking, no, it was great. I love to see people connecting because I am the connection pastor, right? So I'm Joseph Bacon. For those that don't know me, the connection pastor here, uh, stepping in for Chris. Chris told me yesterday, he said, I want you to preach. So now I'm just playing. He He gave me more time than that um if you have if this is your first time we truly do see you as a gift and if it's your second time you're still a gift and guess what if you've been here a hundred times you are still a gift we love you all we're glad you're here excited that you come to join us in the last sermon uh in this series imago day for those that haven't been walking with us through this sermon series imago day means can somebody all right so y'all been paying attention uh, that's good. You, you know that part, at least, the image of God. And so for over the, the last four weeks, we've been just talking through what it means to be the image of God, what it means to be imagers of God, and how uh, it is our job. I, I love the analogy. For me, it connected because I grew up in the hood, but Chris was talking about tagging on walls and stuff. Uh, that, for me, connected because I'm, God made me his imager, so he doesn't need me to create something else, erect something else from the ground with wood, metal, or whatever, because I'm the image. You know, it's my job to carry his word to the land, to the nation. I get to do that. And so that's what we've been walking through uh, these past few weeks. And if you just so happen to have a whole bunch of questions, you know, we love to answer them on the Pastor Plex podcast, which will be coming out on Tuesday. It's been some good stuff. Uh Some real good questions have been popping up, you know, and so we love to engage with you all in that way. You listen to the podcast. I think Chris sent an email. We got 4,000 downloads total, so we're getting getting up there, y'all, thousands of listeners uh, listening to the podcast. So um, I'm excited to jump into this uh, as we kind of talk through a little bit more of the image of God and what does it mean and how us as imagers can redeem the Imago Day. Uh, me personally, like I just said, I grew up in the hood here in Austin, Eastside, uh, where, where those gang violence, I saw all of that, the fights and just everything, and so uh, as quick as I could get out, I wanted to get out, and so I left Reagan High School, probably one of the worst schools in AISD uh, here, I mean, they changed the name and everything, I don't know if it still is, but it was when I was going there, uh, and so I went to Bailey University, right, I went from being a majority in my class as far as a black male to being a minority. Uh, this is back in 2001, early 2000s, right? And I remember there wasn't, and I was an engineering major, mechanical engineering major, when I went there, and one of the things that I always got asked when I was there was, what sport do you play? Yeah. Right, I, and I, I looked at them and I said, I'm on an academic scholarship. Oh, I loved it. But everybody they looked at me. What would you play? Because to be honest, then most of the, the, the African Americans, the blacks that went to the school, they were athletes—track, football, basketball, whatever it was. Uh, and I also remember thinking to myself, "Man, I can't wait to graduate from Baylor because I'm gonna be able to get the house I want, be able to help my mom, I'm gonna be able to get the car, get my dream car, I'm gonna be able to get all of that." And I remember it was Welcome Week and we was all going somewhere, and I was riding with my roommates there. And as we're pulling up, I saw all these nice cars. I'm like, man, these professors got it good up here, right? I'm saying, i was like, man, this is what I want. I can't wait to get my dream car, like these professors. And then I'm looking even closer. It's the students getting out of these cars, right? if you're not familiar with Baylor, Baylor is a private school, expensive school. It's a lot of uh, wealthy people send their kids there, apparently. I remember not liking a lot of the students there just because of the cars they drove. They drove the car I wanted to drive, like, after I graduated in four years and had the the job that I wanted. They were driving them cars already, the Lexuses and Porsches and stuff. I said, you 18 years old and you drive a Porsche? I don't like you. (laughs) I was, y'all think I'm playing. I was serious. Like, I would judge people. As a 17, 18-year-old and college, I would judge people my freshman year. I struggled with that. I'm like, God, I'm like they, they got it all. They made it. Like I made it about the stuff. And, then, and so what I found out is this, is that we don't redeem the image of God, the Imago Dei, when we find our identity in class. That was me. And some of you may or may not be guilty of this, but you can look at someone, the way they dress, the amount of money you know they make, or the cars they drive, the house they live in, and you're like, uh, that's not right. And you begin to allow external factors to dictate how you before you don't even see them internally. You don't see the spirit. You don't see what God is doing. Like, I never get to that point to, to get to know them on a spiritual level because all I see is the outside. I probably missed out on a lot of good relationships because I'm like, I don't want to be that person's friend. They bougie. They uppity. I'm just being real. And even now, when I think about it, maybe it's just me. I still kind of do that. I look through the filter of, you know, maybe it's the gender. Uh, you're, eh, you can't do that. You're a woman. I don't. I don't think that. I don't think that. I don't think that. That one I don't do. Some of us do it. I don't do that one. I don't do that. One. But we do that. We look at each other just based off of gender. We can we can we can miss what Jesus is doing, what God is doing in a person because of who they are, gender-wise. And lastly, I found that that R word that no one likes to speak about was race. When I was when I had my first son, uh, J4, he came out like if I would not have seen them cut him out of my wife's belly, I wouldn't believe that he was mine because he was so white. And some people go, well, all babies come out white, no, my son came out white. Like I guarantee, like you, my mom, just no lie, there were seven babies lined up in a nursery. I said, she said, which one is he? I said, that one. Seven babies. She said, no, you lying. I said, no, oh, that's him right there. <laughs> And so fast forward, my son has a, a lighter complexion. You can tell now that he's African-American, that he's black, but his, his complexion compared to his mother and myself is very light. And so what that means is that I have to talk to my son because there's this thing called colorism. You may or may not have heard of it. But in it's, it's, all, it's not just the African-American culture, It's not just black people. But we, it's like this light skin versus dark skin kind of thing. Google it when you have time. And so now I have to talk to my son because of the complexion of his skin and him feeling like, well, am I black? What am I? Like, he's ass. He say, well, mom, I'm white. You're black kind of thing. And like teaching him about these different things, like race is a big thing, especially like when you look at how there was things called the, the paper bag test, where it's like, hey, if you're lighter than this paper bag, I can serve you. But if you're darker than it, then I can't. Things like that that have perpetuated in a culture where you literally can look up light skin versus dark skin when it comes to the african-american culture and there's, it's a big thing why? because if you were, the lighter complexity you was you worked in the house the darker you was you worked in the fields and even now to this day it's a thing where people struggle because of the color, of your, because of the amount of melanin you have in your skin And so this is the thing we, we find our identities in, in this and it's not just black and white is black and black and white and white and it's all over and so this is where we're going when we're dealing with the imago day the image of god and being imagers of god and understanding hey jesus came and he doesn't want us to miss what he's doing so if you pray with me for a second father god we thank you we love you and we praise you there is none like you god and so i pray on this morning As we dive into this text, God, to hear a word from you, you can allow our spiritual ears to open up so much so that we can hear exactly what you wanted us, that you want us to hear on this morning. God, we love you and God, we praise you. It's all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. At this point in Luke, we've seen in chapter 3, we see Jesus get baptized. Then we see Jesus go, uh, be led into the wilderness by the spirit where he's tempted for 40 days. 40 days he's being tempted by the devil. And you think after for 40 days of fasting and being tempted by the enemy that Jesus will say, all right, I need to break, I need to rest. He says, no, it's time to get to work. And immediately following that, he begins to go preach and teach. And so in verse 16, where we're going to start, is where we pick up, and he's been preaching. His name has become known in a lot of the temples and just different places that people know of Jesus. They're hearing about him. And this story takes place in his hometown, around his own people, people that know him, people that you would think like him or love him. They know who he is and some of the things he's done. So this is where it takes place. Verse 16 says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. This is his hometown. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. Now, before we go on, one of the things I need you all to understand, that Jesus, our Lord and Savior, someone that probably didn't need to go to church, went to church. He regularly and routinely engaged with God, God's word, and we see with God's people and what can happen is us as believers we get comfortable with wherever we are and we miss that formula of regularly engaging with God's Word with God, that's prayer, reading your Bible and God's people and what happens is when you uh, don't regularly and routinely engage it with God and God's Word and God's people you begin to miss some things And so what we will find out is that when Jesus did that, it was on purpose with purpose, and he was intentional about what he did. You don't want to miss regularly engaging with God's word, with God and God's people. Verse 17, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written. And so Jesus, he just took the scroll, he rolls it, he begins to scroll the scroll, he's looking, he starts at chapter 61. Goes to verse 1. Reads a little bit of verse 2. And it says this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me." And I can imagine being in this room full of other people who've been reading this text most of their life. They know it. They've heard it before. And now Jesus, out of all the places that start in Isaiah, he starts at chapter 61. And could you imagine him reading about himself himself? How he read, because this is Jesus, who spoke with an authority like no other, because this is about him. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And I can only imagine everyone's eyes as they're hearing the inflections in his voice and how he read this text about himself. It says, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim Liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Imagine all the eyes and how everything became just quiet because he's talking about himself and he knows he's reading about himself. He was intentional about reading this. Then he goes on to say, and he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant. And he sat down. Could you imagine him just reading that? Could have been like three seconds, I don't know, three minutes, 30 seconds of them just looking at him after he read something about himself to help them understand or get a little bit further. Because we don't want to miss what he's doing. This is the start of his ministry. This is him about to tell the world, let him know who he is, who sent him, and what he was sent for. That's what he just said. Look, he said, I came to proclaim the good news to the poor. Because what can happen is we don't understand that sin impoverishes people. That's what it does. He said, I came for them. He said, sin Enslaves people. We become slaves to sin. He said, I came to break that. He said, seeing blinds people. I come to not just make people see physically, because this whole section is him for, just foreshadow after foreshadow. He said, yeah, I came to let the blind see, but there's some spiritually blind people that need to see. And he was talking to them. He said, y'all don't see what's going on. I'm going to break it down for you. And then he said, I came to uh, set free those who are oppressed. This word here, oppressed, means broken. Broken into pieces, shattered. For some of us, we're broken, we're hurt. The world has literally dropped us right where we was, and we've shattered into pieces. And it's almost like that Humpty Dumpty thing. Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall, had a great fall, all the king's horsemen, all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. That's it. This is the oppressed. There's only one man that can do it. And that's Jesus Christ. And what can happen is, you'll see, this is what happens. Because all eyes are on him. Verse 21, and he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled and you're here. He said, I'm that God." He said, I'm that God," And listen to their response. This is crazy to me. He said, and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. They liked what he said. He told them that he, he, he came to bring about the year of the Lord. They liked what he said. Fun fact, the year of the Lord is the year of Jubilee. For those that don't know what the year of Jubilee is, let me give you a history lesson real quick. Every seven years, God gave them, this is Leviticus 25. And so see, if you want to go fact check me, you can go do that. Leviticus 25, the first few verses, God said, hey, what I want you to do every seven years, the year of Sabbath or the year of sabbatical, is I want you to not work the land. Let the land it was for the land to rest. I don't know if anyone in here grew up on a farm or something. There was time you let your land rest to let the the ground recover. And this could be hard in this agrarian society, in this farming society. That's how they got their livelihood. It could be hard for them to do this because, well, that's how they made their living. So this took faith. This took trust in God that in year six, that God was going to give us enough overflow to help us through year seven. So what he did in the year of Sabbath he said, hey, every seven years is a year of Sabbath, so every seven years, I want you to take a break. You not work. You rest in the Lord, because God takes rest seriously. Yeah. And he said, now, after the seventh cycle of this seven-year cycle, so seven times seven is? Ah, y'all know how to do multiplication. I was also a math teacher, too, so. <laughs> so after 49 years, this year 50 was the year of Jubilee. So just, just so you understand this, that means year 48, God gave enough rain, enough overflow, just enough so that in year 49, they could rest. But not only in year 49, in year 50, they can rest because the ground wasn't worked in either. So this year 48 took care of three years. Also, what happened in this year of Jubilee was there was uh, all your debts were wiped away. Anybody else need a year of Jubilee? just me okay (coughs) debts were wiped away your if you was enslaved you were set free you were sent back home like this was this was serious he's saying i came to do this and they're marveling at the things that he's saying in his preaching and in that same breath this is what happens and they said is not this joseph's son They missed it. He said, I came for this, and all you see is my class. The people missed Jesus because of his class. Who he was? Joseph's son, the carpenter. I know your daddy. You're not the Messiah. You're not the anointed one. Chris and I, every week, every Wednesday morning, we go to breakfast uh it doesn't take long for us to get to breakfast both being military we kind of take about five ten minutes meals sit down we eat we do what we got to do we meet talk life we usually come back here to talk even more ministry but this is every wednesday chris the lead pastor for those you don't know he and i meet a couple weeks back he and i are sitting at a table eating our food like we always do chris usually orders he's health i don't know if it's just with me that he does this but he orders oatmeal and fruit and just puts it in there and that's what he eats usually this week he this week i'm talking about he changed it up on me i think he ordered an omelet or something and so i think that was was what slowed him down in in the story i'm about to tell you but what happens is we get up after we pay the bill we leave him this is uh what is it uh original pancake house it's pretty good we got some good bacon i get the bacon and eggs and some oatmeal that's what I i gotta get my bacon uh, and we're walking out, and these, there's three young ladies sitting at a table. And so as I'm, they're here and I'm walking out, they say, hey, how you doing? I say, hey, how you doing? And I keep moving. I keep it moving, keeping it moving. Chris, he's usually in front of me, and he's still at the table. I'm by the exit door, and he's putting on the jacket. I was like, what's taking this dude so long? And he walks by the table again. He walks by the table as well, and they say, hey, how you doing? And they're trying to wave Chris down. And I'm thinking, oh, well, maybe Chris knew them. That's why they was acting so friendly to me. And so I said, it'd be rude for me not to go back. Chris went back, and he's talking to them. It'd be rude for me not to go back. So I'll go back, and they're talking to Chris. And she's like, hey, how y'all doing? She said, y'all handsome. I said, oh, I was right. <laughs> and Chris and Chris is like, he gave one a side hug. He, I, I know in his mind, Chris is thinking, I know them from church or something. I'm thinking, nah, they, they, they trying to get us, Chris. <laughs> they trying to get us. And so when she said, hey, she said, hey, y'all handsome, I said, we passed this. That's the first thing that came out of my mouth. I ain't lying. Ask Chris. I said, we passed this. And Chris, he said, we models. <laughs> y'all, I can't make this stuff up. Chris said, we models. And he's just engaging with them like he just knows them. He's laughing and he's playing and he's talking to them. And we're leaving. like as we're leaving, Chris is really, I can see on his face, he's really trying to ponder, where do I know these girls from? Like, where do I know him from? And I'm thinking, my, Chris, you, you a fool. <laughs> they trying to get us, Chris. I hear, and I hear him, I kitchen, I hear one of them say, can we get your number, as we're walking out. And so as soon as we walk out, I told Chris. I said, Chris, you know they were flirting with us and stuff. And he looked at me, really? <laughs> he said, I'm usually, like, I get the vibe, I can tell. I was like, well, you missed it, Chris. <laughs> You missed all of that, and, and, and while we can laugh at that and we can joke, we, we do this when it comes to how God is calling us to move and react and interact with people. It's funny when we think about stuff like this, but it's so easy to miss what God is doing because I'm looking at you and how much money you make and what you do, how you do it, and I can miss being able to connect with you, not on the external, but internally and say, hey, I want to get to know your spirit. How many relationships did you mess up or you miss out on because of, you missed what God was trying to do because you were so focused on everything else about this person or everything else about the situation you said you didn't stop and say, "God, what are you doing?" These people they missed it because he was joseph's son you see, and on the flip side of this what i what i what God had given me is that not only did they miss it, but sometimes. We believe what people say about us. They say, you Joseph's son. Sometimes I believe, oh, you from Austin? You went to Reagan? The east side? Nah, ain't nothing good come from there. Oh, you come from a single-paying household? Nah, you, you, you're not going to be able to have a healthy marriage. And we begin to believe what people are pouring into us and what they're saying about us as if we're, we're, we identify with that versus identifying with God. This is what it means to be imagers of God and identifying with him. Don't miss it like they did. Don't mess it up like they did, because this is what happened. Look, verse 23, and he said to them, he said, doubtless, you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. So God, he knew what they were doing. He understood that what had happened for them, what had happened was, what had happened with them, is they were not regularly and routinely engaging with God, the prayer, God's word, so they missed a lot of things. And, and what happens when we do that, we, when we are engaging blindly, because they were blind, when you're spiritually blind and you're engaging with God's people, you're messing up relationships because what can happen is you can miss out on the right relationship or or handling the relationship the right way. But so so we engage with people, or sometimes we disengage from people because we're not engaging with God, God's word, the right way, in a healthy way, in a godly way, and how he's called us to do it, spending time with him, learning, gleaning from him, growing in him. So they ask for proof. If you are the anointed one, the Messiah. You're saying you're the Christ. Give me proof. Do a miracle. I heard you do those. Dance for me. And he said to them, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his own town. It doesn't matter what he did, they wouldn't believe him. They weren't ready to see. So he said, well, let me do something. And this is what I love about Jesus, especially this story. When I was jumping to him, I said... He's so cold with it. He's smooth with it. He said, I'm going to give you something that you'd be familiar with. Let's see if you catch it. He says, but in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three three years and six months, and a great famine came over the land. So what does Jesus do in his greatness? He says, hey, let me give them the word. So he begins to tell them a story that happened in 1 Kings, I think, around chapter 16 or 17 with this woman. So Elijah, he, he's running. There's been a famine for three and a half years. This is right after. You may be familiar with the story of him being fed by ravens and drinking some of the water from the brooks and things. He tells him, hey, I need you to go to the city of Sidon. Look, he says, and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. He says, I need you to go to the city. And in the city, there's going to be a, a, a widow, a woman. Now this widow, or woman. Just so you know, first off, it's a woman. Remember, God doesn't he doesn't care if you're male or if you're female. He doesn't care about all that. He's going to use. He's going to help. He's going to. He's going to. It doesn't matter who you are. He's going to do what he's going to do, and he doesn't matter what our plans are. And he's telling them this story for them to understand in this 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 male-led society that he's going to save whomever he wants. And so, not only is he choosing in this famine, God choosing to not just save a woman, but she happens to not be an Israelite. She's not Jews. He's try- he, and Jesus is telling this story to Jews. He's trying to get them to understand, like, you think you know, but you missed it. It's right here in the text. So he said, let me give you the proof. And so the story goes with this woman. Elijah goes up to her. He says, hey, I need some water. She says, I got you. He says, you know what? I need some bread, too. She said, ooh. Yeah. I got a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil. I'm just going to make my son and I some cakes some bread. This going to be our last meal because we're about to die. Literally, the flour and the oil she was carrying was going to be her and her son's last meal. That's what she tells him. He said, well, you, what I want you to do, he tells this mother, this single mother, what I want you to do is make me bread first. What mother in her right mind, right. this is not only our last meal, but you want me to give you some bread first, too? He says, I want you to make me some bread. And then watch God work. The God of Israel, he will take care of you. He says, what's going to happen is, you do this, you be faithful, God's going to do something. She has faith. The woman. Remember, they, they're like, ah, eh, they, they, they're still missing it. He's, and she does it. And what God does is, he tells her, the prophet Elijah tells her, he says, because of your obedience... What I'm gonna do, the flour that in this jar will, won't run out till the famine is over. The oil in this jar won't run out till the famine is over. Her obedience, her faith. Again, the story even goes deeper because she was poor. Remember at the beginning who Jesus was telling them he came to save? Yeah. The poor, yeah. the broken, the oppressed. How I know she was oppressed? She literally was cooking her last meal. This is who he came for. They know this story. He's telling them this story. But they missed it. The people missed Jesus because of gender. Like, this is a woman. They still missed it. They still didn't get what Jesus was telling them what he was doing. And it's so easy for us to miss what Jesus is doing because we're seeing through the filters of our own self. We regularly and routinely engage with self, with the world, and how society and culture sees people, that we miss what God says in his word. We pervert and and we make it sound good to us because we're regularly and routinely engaging with ourselves and then we miss God in the whole picture. He goes on to say, oh, that wasn't enough for you? I'll give you another story. Because the the way you battle sin, the enemy, is with the word of God. Not with the word of Joseph. Not with the word of fill in the blank. The world, the TV, the news. It's the word of God. He said, you want proof I am who I say I am? Let me help you understand this story even deeper. He says, let's go to his little, let's go to Elijah's protege and go to Elisha. Then he begins, and this is 2 Kings. Again, this is something that they've. Regularly and routinely engaged with. He gives them more Bible. He said, I'm going to just give you the word. You know it. You read it. He said, this is what I'm going to give you. So he goes to 2 Kings, around chapter 5. This is the story of Elisha. At this point in Elisha's ministry, he's done miracles for the poor, for the wealthy, for a group of school of prophets. He's done some work already. And this is what God tells me. He says, and there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed but only naming the Syria. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Why did they get mad? Like I said, when it's, it's easy, maybe it's me, me, but I hate to lose. I hate to lose. I hate being wrong. Case in point, J-4 and I, uh, we have a, he, he's my son. So you can giggle when you understand if you know the relationship with my son. I've told plenty of stories, the sarcasm, the snarky remarks. He's me. <laughs> He's me. Right? And so what happened was, for those of you who are parents of boys, future parents of boys, boys don't like to use soap. <laughs> Especially at the younger age. Like, son, use soap. He'll, he'll stay in the bathtub, take a shower, bathe. He does both. But he'll stay in there for 20 minutes and come out. Did you use soap? No. <laughs> and so this, this, this past week, J-4 took a nice shower, comes out. I said, J-4, and I didn't smell soap. You, know, you can smell. I didn't smell it. I said, did you use soap? Yeah, I use soap. I smelled them. You didn't <laughs> use no soap. I said, go back in there and take it. I said, he said, I did. And I'm, yeah, like, I'm getting angry, not because he didn't use soap, because I understand this. I went through this phase of life, too, as well. I'm not I'm mad that he didn't use soap. I'm mad because I feel like he's lying to me. That's why I'm mad. I said, get in there, and, You know, you get getting a daddy mode, and my voice elevated just a little bit. Yes, I get loud sometimes with my kids. Tell you the truth. I'm not. That's imperfect. I'm sorry. Sometimes I yell or get loud and angry. And I'm getting angry. Get in the shower and I'm following his his butt back to the shower. Get in there. And he he's almost in tears because of this. And he gets up to the shower. And and at one point he was like, I, I don't know if I use soap. I had convinced him he didn't use soap. Because of my anger and stuff. And and the and, and the and the funny thing is we can do that. We allow the world because it yells at us and it speaks loud enough to us to believe into the world. That one's for free for real. And so we go to the shower, and he takes down his loofah, and he's about to get in, he, and then he said, look, daddy, see there's soap, and I see the bubbles in there. I'm like, golly, he was right. <laughs> Why didn't I smell it? That's what I'm thinking in my mind. It's because he used his brother's soap, which is scentless. <laughs> I got a baby, too, little six months, he uses scentless soap, right? And so here I am, I done got angry, and and the part about this that, that really, for me personally, is that now what has to happen is I need to apologize to my son. I need to admit I was wrong. They couldn't get there. They were full of wrath. They couldn't see that they was wrong because the story of Naaman goes where he's told he won this war because of God. He won a battle because of God. But he didn't know that because he didn't follow God. But God, again, Jesus is telling the story because they knew it. And they understood that he wasn't a Jew. Naaman wasn't a Jew. God allowed him to beat Israel. He's showing the Jews that if you don't want to be used, if you don't want to worship me, if you don't understand what I'm doing, if you're going to miss it, I can go somewhere else and begin to move and allow them to trust me and move on their hearts. Right. I can use anybody I want to use. I don't care what race, what class. And so with Naaman, he had got this little Israelite girl, servant. He brings her from one of the battles he probably won. And this girl tells him, Tells his wife, hey, I know of a man that can heal your, your husband. So she tells her husband, hey, she said, there's a prophet over here in Israel that can save you. So Naaman says, well, let me go here. Let me see who he's talking about. He goes to the king and says, hey, I need to go here to get healed. King says, well, here, send him with all this money, a whole lot of money. Go do it. He's the, the king, he goes to the, the king of Israel. He says, here's the letter from the king. Hey, can you, can you heal me? The king literally rips off his clothes. Ah, what does he think this is? Out of anger, thinking that this is him provoking him wanting to fight, going to war. It, Elisha says, oh, no, send him to me. I got him. Naaman goes, knocks on Elisha's door. Elisha doesn't even answer the door. He sends his messenger. The messenger tells him, hey, go, he told me to tell you, go wash in the Jordan seven times, dip, you'll be good. Closes the door Naaman, (laughs) he gets angry. He said, I could have did this at home. He said, I could have did this at home. He said, why did I come here? He's angry. And the servants, again, it comes back to the servants. Who who does God use? Who does he come for? He said, I mean, he just told you to do it seven times. If that's going to heal you, then just do it. He swallows his pride. He goes and dips in it. Seven times he's healed. Comes back, different man, thankful. Thank you, take this, take this. He says, no, I don't need all that. But God was using this story so they could understand. They missed it. Here they are prideful in their wrath and not understanding that he's telling them a story about themselves and they couldn't even see themselves in the story. They knew this story. Remember, they regularly and routinely engaged in tech, but they missed it. They missed it. They missed what Jesus was trying to tell them. They missed it. It's right in front of them. Mr. The pride. It was a heart issue. Y'all are missing what I'm trying to do. It's a heart issue. I can't take you to the next place till you get this heart issue. We can't begin to transform up here until there's some transformation down here. Right. How can I use you and to, to see what I want you to do and to, to see the images of God and how he does it and how he's doing it? Because he had to swallow his pride for this. Yeah. This is... It, if you're familiar with gangs and gang violence and different things, this is this is like two rival gangs, the Bloods and the Crips, whatever gangs you know, coming t- to each other, asking each other for help. Yeah. This is what this is about. And God is trying to get him to understand, I knocked down all those walls. Yeah. Yeah. You created the walls of the vision. I'm trying to knock them down. Right. You said because of how much money you make, there should be some differentiation. Mm-hmm. You said because of the amount of melanin in your skin that you're better or you're worse. We did that. God is saying, I'm trying to knock down all these idols and all these walls, all these ways that we identify ourselves. I need you to see yourself through the eyes of Jesus Christ. He said, I'm the Messiah. That's what he said. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. That's their response. And here's their miracle. But passing through their mist, he went away. He bobbed and weaved. Got him. They asked for a miracle. You got a group of people literally taking him to the edge of a cliff. Just so you know, this is how it works. You take him to the cliff, you throw him off, you stone him. They were setting him up for that. And Jesus knew this wasn't my time. He knew it. The people missed Jesus because of race. He told them a story about who he came to help, not just the Jews, but the Gentile. They didn't like it. They tried to kill him. Foreshadowing of the cross. He took him to the cross right then. He was preaching the gospel. He came to save everyone. Not just one select group of people, but they missed it. They missed it, and so what I found is this: somebody gave me this uh, subwoofer slash like uh, sound bar this past week. The subwoofer. I went home I'm like, "Ooh yeah, man, get surround sound. It's cool." And I went to press the little connection buttons. Nothing. Lights just keep blinking, keep scrolling up, and I am like, "Man, what's going on?" They done gave me this broke thing. I'm getting mad. Like for 30, 45 minutes, I'm looking on the internet, doing everything it tells me to do, pressing, holding, clearing out, doing everything. Still wasn't working. Come to find out it was the wrong subwoof, that they weren't compatible. And what happens is, in our lives, in our walk, we're trying to connect to everything but God. Wondering why it's not working. It's not compatible. And so my question for you today is, are you missing Jesus? Are you? Is he a Sunday morning relationship for you? A Sabbath day relationship for you? Are you regularly, routinely engaging with God? Because I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to miss him. So this does, this goes for those who have Experience, because the people he is talking to are people who have experience with the word. But it's clear they didn't have experience with God. And what can happen is you can come here on a Sunday. And you can hear Chris, me, James, one of us preaching the word. You can listen to a bunch of people preach the word. But do you have a personal relationship with God? Because you got to take it past the Sunday in order for it to really affect your life. So are you missing Jesus? In front of you are some cups uh, for communion. What happens is uh, Jesus preached the gospel to them. He wanted them to truly understand this is what I'm doing, this is what I'm trying to do in your lives. I'm trying to change. He said, I'm the way. I'm the one. The reason we take communion It's to remember, to remind us of what Jesus did on the cross. And so if you haven't yet accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is an opportunity for you to do this. It's an opportunity for you to say, hey, I want to know about this Jesus Christ. I'm broken, I'm poor in spirit, I've been spiritually blind who he is. This is that time. For those of you who may need to rededicate because you are the ones missing. You are the ones angry. You are the ones yelling at them, Willing to throw rocks. And we do that with our sin. This is the time to rededicate. And so I ask right now that you would take about 30 seconds. 30 seconds to uh, just pray. It could be a prayer of you asking God to come. Jesus to come into your heart take about 30 seconds The night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, he broke it. He said, This is my body which is given to you. Take, eat all of it. Then he took the wine. He said, This represents my blood, new covenant. He told them to drink all of it. Father God, we thank you. God, we don't want to miss you. We don't want to miss you at all, God. I pray right now, God, that you begin to change the hearts of your oh, man, God, that you begin to allow us to create in us an appetite, but we regularly and routinely want to worship you, God, we regularly and routinely want to engage with you, God, through prayer, through the reading of our word, God, we don't want to see people because of how much money they make God, make, God, but we want to engage in relationships, vulnerability, conversations with all God's images, God, we love you. God, we thank you. It's all these things we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. God is calling us to do more. The song said it. He's a God of revival. But before it said that, it says, awaken your people. He said, I need them to see it. And if you are missing Jesus, we can't have a revival. Neighborhood, the households won't even change. We can't get to neighborhoods. We can't get to the city. It starts with you. Your heart problem, your, your, your sin issue and saying, God, I need you. I've missed you so much and for some of us it's just spending time with him God wants more of you stop waiting on the perfect storm because we witnessed through Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior that even his own people rejected him so people are going to hate you they're going to hate on you they're going to be mad when you get it right they're going to be happy when you get it wrong there's no winning with people Trust God. So it doesn't matter how much money you make, how much money you don't make. God is here for you. It don't matter if sin is trying to hold on to you. It's going to keep holding on to you, realizing you need Jesus to get you out. We need him. Stop trying to do it on your own. You wasn't built for that. But he was. He is. He says, if you give it to me, I can handle it. If you let go, I can take it. Stop trying to do it on your own. Trust God. So when you leave here, operate from a position of authority because you know who your father is. You know what he already conquered. And you can walk in the strength of that. I want you to go push back darkness and have an awesome week to work. You are